0: Yes, good night. Hey,
1: uh, yeah. well, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> Welcome.
0: Fine, fine, thanks.
1: All right, good to have you. Well, Guy, your, your book, uh, Creating Russophobia, is, is really brilliant and extremely timely, and it's also a little bit mind-boggling that somebody who comes out of the, the center of mainstream Swiss journalism and institutions has managed to tell this much truth about a topic that is so taboo. Uh, how, what got you started on this?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, I followed uh, the Russian affairs and uh, the, the the gap between Eastern Europe, Russia and uh, Continental Europe, European Union, since a long time as a journalist, since about 20 years. And since 25 years, I had special ties with Russia because I received the Russian nationality by President Yeltsin at that time because uh, my wife and me we adopted the Young girl uh, and she's Oksana, uh, our daughter Oksana, and she became so our daughter and we we could we could get the Russian passport so it was a special event and since that time I have a special uh, if i can say focus on on Russia because i I visit the country uh, i have so many friends and so on so uh, and According to that, I was always surprised by the, 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 the huge gap uh, there is between the Russian reality, what what the Russians uh, live and uh, and how they live, and the way uh, used by the Western media, our media in Europe or in the United States, uh, the used by the Western media to speak about russia to to present Russia in the columns of the newspaper uh, because it was very negative always negative or the bad russian the the, 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 the uh, yes a very negative view and uh, and the positive uh, way of living so uh, on the other on the other side. And when, when the Maidan, uh, the, the, the second revolution uh, uh, came in, in, uh, took place in, in Maidan in Kiev in 2014, I thought uh, this gap, these prejudices are, are so high, are so deep, are so <laughs> important, I have to do something. And so I started to, to write this book.
1: Well, that's very interesting. I I can relate to your situation because I believe I was probably made more sensitive to Islamophobia due to having uh, married my wife, who is Moroccan and Muslim. And so in a sense, I sort of have a a dual nationality with the Muslim ummah. And so since 9-11, with this pervasive Islamophobia... Uh, I think I've noticed it more than other people might have. And, and I can understand how your connection with Russia would, would also help you see things from this other perspective that's being systematically neglected. So, so uh, the Western media is obviously not very enthusiastic about uh, publishing information of the kind that you're offering in this book. And I know your book yeah. was out in French. Originally, and it took a while to come out in English. Did you have a hard time finding a publisher? Uh,
0: yes, uh, I can say yes yeah, because we we tried many times. Uh, we published, uh, as you say, the, the the first edition in French, and uh, and uh, we, we tried to to to, to get. Uh, uh, an English publisher or an American publisher as soon as possible. So during six months, it was quite difficult to get it. But uh, thanks to the chance, <laughs> suddenly uh, two 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 people, two two publishers were interested to to publish, and so we could uh, yes we could find uh, uh, in Atlanta. Um, it's
1: Cl- Clarity Press. It's yeah, a wonderful exactly. publisher. It's it's yeah. very high quality stuff.
0: Yeah. So and uh, and thanks to Diana Colius, the, the the director of the of the publishing uh, house of uh, of Clarity Press, uh, we could publish in, in English. And I must say, for me, it was quite an experience because the way to 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 write a book between, uh, if I can say, French or France and and United States is very different because you in America, you are very attached. I think it's a good thing uh, on all the details to check every fact, to check every date and and so on. So for me, it was a long, uh, yes, a, a hard job uh, to check everything and to answer all the 300 questions uh, Mrs. Collier's, uh had to uh, before before to publish the book. So, but I think now it's quite good. It improved a lot, also the the quality of the book.
1: Well, I haven't read it in French, but the English version is terrific. A uh, very very detailed and, as far as I can tell, fully accurate and really comprehensive. You know, you've, you've yeah, because
0: in France, we are more used to make a lit- what we can call literature, you know, with uh, uh, long sentences and uh, some, uh, you know, literature and a little bit less facts. And I think, uh, yes, it was a good uh, incentive to have a better, better publication. Yeah. Uh,
1: so then the question arises of, of how, how is the mainstream going to deal with this? They, you know, the, the mainstream world. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine, for instance, the New York Times book review doing justice to your book or even mentioning it. Uh, but I'm sure that since you've inhabited the mainstream journalistic world, that you've seen to some extent how uh, people in that mainstream react to the kind of information you're presenting.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the, the reaction was very clear. It was silence uh, because not in Switzerland, because in Switzerland, the uh, I'm not a very known personality, a known person, but uh, as a, I, I am a journalist since a long time. I was the chief editor of one of the biggest newspapers in Switzerland. So my name is a little bit known in the country. And uh, I am still director of the Swiss Press Club. So it was, uh, it was impossible for my colleagues uh, to ignore the book. But in France... Uh, uh, it was the case, so nobody <laughs> accepted in, in the mainstream uh, papers like Le Monde like Liberation or other other big papers other important papers. nobody accepted to present the book or to make a critic even even very critical, but uh, uh, it was impossible to get uh, reviews in in, in uh, mainstream paper. So the book uh, was quite successful, but only by the buzz, you know. The readers uh, made the buzz in, in France and uh, in other countries. Uh, the, the, the reception was much better in the Russian edition, but that's we, we can understand easily why. So in Russia, no problem for get uh, reviews in magazines or newspaper. In Serbia, too, but in, uh, in European countries like Italy, like uh, Sweden, uh, where the, the book was published, it, it's quite difficult to get it because mainstream newspapers try to ignore it.
1: It reminds me a, a bit of the situation uh, regarding the New Pearl Harbor, which was the first book on 9-11 by Dr. David Ray Griffin, That was studiously ignored, and Dr. Griffin is still studiously ignored by the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Now, Now he has more than a dozen books out. So it was the buzz and the word of mouth that sold, I believe, well into six figures worth of books um essentially uh, like your book uh, his work is is very thorough well documented and provides the the very important uh, perspective on on a uh, current event that it's totally taboo in the mainstream so i'm glad to hear that your book has done well i hope it will do well here in english and and you know there i i keep making these these connections between the Russophobia and islamophobia both of these yeah, are driving
0: that's right. and, yes, that's militarism,
1: right. yeah, yeah, driving Western policy today. And a parallel that you brought out in this book that I hadn't really thought about before was that that Russophobia, like Islamophobia, seems to go back to you know a thousand more than a thousand years of uh, religious uh, controversy. You know, with Islam, it's obvious that, you know, Christianity and Islam have had their uh, disputes throughout the centuries. But with Eastern and Western Christianity, this is not something that is really attended to very much. The mainstream doesn't mention. The mainstream will tell us about Islam, the religion being the problem. But it it doesn't tell us about Orthodox Christianity or Eastern Christianity being the problem. But your book makes a good case that these prejudices uh, go back to this religious divide.
0: Yeah, that's that's quite right, it's, and uh, there is a parallel between Islamophobia uh, and uh, Russophobia, because it was also a surprise for me because I am a good Catholic, if I can say, I was educated uh, with Catholicism and Papism, and you know this kind of of, of stuff, and uh, in my view, uh, as a young uh, pupil, as a young child. I was uh, learned uh, that the Orthodox uh, were, the, you know, there is this different this gap between Orthodox and and, uh, and Catholic in the era, in the 11th century. Uh, so it's a long, it's a very long story. And um, so I have always learned that the Orthodox were the bad guys, the bad guys, and the Catholic the good ones. That the systematic were the 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 Orthodox and the Catholic were in the right way, if I can say. But it right, was right. Yeah, yeah, exactly they, the opposite.
1: Right. Yeah. What one side is is the heretics or the schismatics, and the other exactly. side is is the the good guys, the right guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, I didn't grow up with that. I grew up in a family of lapsed Unitarians in an increasingly secularized USA. So mm-hmm. so I missed all of that, and so even today. The discourse on Russia. When I see it, I, I don't think about this issue. But you've you've uh, really highlighted it and gone into the the history there. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, about this great schism.
0: Yeah, because when the the the, the schism uh, the, 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 uh, appeared in the 11th century, so it's a, it's a long story to explain. The roots of the schism. I think it's maybe not the place here to to explain. Yeah, that. yeah the, the theological
1: issues are are bizarre.
0: <laughs> yeah, but what 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 was interesting? It was all not not only for religious causes. This defense but also for political uh, causes because the Western country, the Western, yeah, the Western, the West, uh, Western Europe at that time tried to uh, separate with the Byzantine Empire, with the the Eastern Roman Empire in Byzantium. And uh, it was a kind of uh, rebellion organized by the Western Europe to separate with the legitimate power, the legitimate uh, uh, government uh, in Byzantium. And the Western Europe, the king, the emperor, became emperor, Charlemagne, uh, tried to use the difference of religion to justify his uh, separation from the the legal government represented at that time by the Greek uh, Roman Empire in Byzance. And he used the religion a little bit like now, we can see uh, nowadays uh, f- uh, when there is a conflict, the religion, like in uh, Islam, uh, is used to, for political reasons. It was exactly the same use uh, one uh, one thousand years ago between uh, Western Europe, Catholic, represented by cat- the Catholic, and uh, the Eastern Europe represented by the Orthodox. And after the, the, the schism, after the gap, after the, 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 the conflict, the religious conflict, uh, conflict uh, has uh, exploded in the 11th century, the um, theologian of the Pope, uh, the Catholic theologians, they use all kinds of arguments, all kinds of propaganda to justify their behavior. And to justify the separation with the Orthodox. And they, they tried to discredit the, the Orthodox, to delegitimate uh, their view, and uh, to make, to transform them into the bad guys, into the negative, and uh, into the heretics and the schismatic. Uh, uh, and all these prejudices developed against the Orthodox. Uh, part, the Orthodox part of the Christendom, uh, was transferred on Russia after the collapse of the Byzantine Empire in the, the 15th century. We can say the same prejudices against the Greek Orthodox being used against the Russian Tsars, against the Russian uh, the Russian Orthodox, uh, and so on. For instance, the the the, the Poles, they, who are Catholics, they use all the same prejudices used by the former Catholic uh, theologians in Rome against the 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 Russian, to appeal to crusades, to make crusades against the the, the Russian. Already in the uh, it was the 13th century, so it's a very very long story, mm-hmm. but quite interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, the Crusaders actually, as they were heading off to fight the Muslims in Jerusalem, they attacked various Western communities on the way, Jewish communities, of course. But but many people don't realize that it was actually the Crusaders that destroyed Byzantium. There was you know they, they, their destruction of Byzantium was what ruined it and enabled the uh, Muslim conquest of Byzantium uh, what a century or a couple a mm-hmm. century and a half later so yeah, so so these these religious conflicts and their history clearly they they leave a mark on, on the kind of the thought of the entire culture and you know there's a negative sort of uh, sense about about Islam about orthodox Christianity in in western culture Uh, And we have Samuel Huntington with his clash of civilizations, which was, of course, borrowed from Bernard Lewis, the Zionist MI6 uh, advisor. Uh, And and these guys said that Eastern Christianity is a separate civilization that's going to clash with the West uh, in the same way that the West is going to clash with Islam and maybe with the Chinese. Uh, what What are your thoughts about that thesis that these civilizational conflicts are inevitable?
0: Yeah. Uh, that's right. For me, the, the, the Western countries, uh, Western Europe, and uh, and now uh, United States, they are always uh, trying to uh, to justify their imperialism uh, through religion, and uh, and they are they have a con- conquest spirit, if I can say, uh, the, uh, you know, since since yes, since centuries, the Crusades. Where the, the, the crusades at the 11th, uh, 12th, and uh, and 13th century uh, were, were the the first example of this kind of imperialism uh, used by the Western countries. So, but to justify, to justify the fact that uh, we invade a foreign country, uh, we used religion, and the the use of religion was always yeah, the, the 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 justification, if I can say, uh, the, the propaganda or the ideology uh, used by the the West to 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 do it, to make this kind of of war uh, there. And first, it was against Islam, because in the 13th century, uh, in the Middle Ages, the Crusades were against Islam, and to justify that we de- we decided or we, we we explained, the people explained, the kings and the popes and the bishops explained why we had to go, the people had to go to Jerusalem to conquest and how the Muslims were bad, were bad guys, uh, were, uh, you know, backward and, and so on, which was not the case, in fact. And it's the same against Islam. Yes, the same... Uh, the same ways, the same bias are used against Islam and they are, as they are used against Russia now.
1: Well, the, <laughs> the discourse has really changed since the Cold War. I grew up during the Cold War, and I remember that our enemy was the godless communists
0: yeah exactly.
1: today so basically, we were fighting people because they weren't religious enough they were they were anti religious and we were the religious ones. but today, we in the West are the non religious ones who are fighting the people who are too religious. The Muslims are the most obvious example of the people who are supposedly too religious, but it seems that there's a sort of subtle no uh, message in the mainstream media that russia now is no the problem isn 't that they 're communist and godless and, and anti religious Now the problem is maybe they 're too religious and they don 't like having pussy rioters tearing up their cathedrals so so they 're like the muslims they 're too religious and it 's it's, it's, it's very strange how this has changed over my lifetime
0: yeah now, what is interesting it 's uh, in my view, uh, yes, the russophobic uh, propaganda developed by the by Europeans at the late, the, if I can say, the modern Russophobic propaganda, which appeared in France in the late uh, 18th century and after in Great Britain, in Germany, and uh, now in the United States, is uh, based on geopolitical uh, uh, ground, if I, if I can say. Uh, because, as I mentioned the Western, the, Euro, the, the Western Europe was always trying to conquer the rest of the world the Islamic world at uh, first but after Africa, Asia, Latin America, as we can, we can say in the history and, uh, and, and so uh, after we, we forget in the 18th century in the modern times religion was not so much important and uh, especially during the communist time because it was a secularization secular, secularization of the yes of the society but what was interesting it's, it was exactly the same terms that the anti communist propaganda used during the Cold War against russia exactly the same prejudices as the Pope and after the kings used against Russia in the Middle Age and in the you know 18th, uh, 19th century. Uh, and this propaganda, these prejudices are two. There are two main uh, prejudices. First, Russia is authoritarian, is a despotic state. So at in the 18th century, we used despotic. It was despotic. And uh, during the communist time, it was totalitarianism. And now against Putin, it's authoritarianism. It's not more democratic. So, that's the first uh, prejudice. Second, Secondly, Russia is intrinsically, is uh, essentially in his spirit, in his soul, is is an imperialist uh, country Russia tries in all the during all the century to conquer to invade the poor western Europe, which is quite far, which is quite false, which is quite incorrect because if you see the history, it was always the European who tried to invade uh, russia it was uh, the Poles, for instance, in, in the 17th century, conquer, the Poles they conquest, they Moscow in the in the beginning of the 17th century. And after it was Napoleon, Napoleon, the French emperor, invade and uh, burned Moscow in the uh, in 1820, 1812. And uh, 1813. So uh, and after it was Hitler, German Hitler, who tried to invade and um, was partly successful to invade Russia. So if we look at the history, the the Western powers uh, uh, always used the same arguments against uh, against the Russian, authoritarian, uh, despotic. Uh, uh, yes, totalitarian and so on, and imperialism. But it's exactly, uh, it's, it's, it's not true.
1: Well, Zbigniew Brzezinski is notorious or was notorious for his anti-Russian bias. Uh, he exactly. comes from a Polish background, a Polish minor nobility, and uh, so he apparently seemed to Think that Russia was imperialistic and as a patriotic pole or somebody from that uh, background he he had a problem with Russia and he then uh, saw the same sort of thing with regard to Russian border conflicts in other places as well but but is isn 't it true though Guy, that the uh, the Russia is uh, centered around a kind of a culture a kind of a uh, a, a linguistic and you know cultural and religious center but it includes a pretty vast area that is not made up of, it's certainly not all made up of, say, Russian-speaking, uh, Slavic, uh, Orthodox Christians, and that this has been true for quite some time. So isn't, isn't it true that there is, in, in some sense, a kind of an imperial aspect
0: to Russia?
1: Uh,
0: you mean uh, if Russian are imperial? Yes, they are. We can, we, we They are, like all the the Western countries, like German, like French, like uh, Britain, uh, Brit- British uh, uh, people, and so on. All this uh, in the history, all these countries were imperialists and tried to justify the conquest of the, uh, the world. And the Russian also were, were uh, they had an imperial spirit. Uh, for instance, they were quite successful uh, to get Siberia and to get uh, Pacific, uh, the, the the Pacific uh, uh, until to the Pacific until to the Alaska, but it was a conquest uh, who, who didn't use the same weapons as the West because the Russian developed slowly, more slowly, and uh, it was through demography, uh, through also. Uh, slow integration of the people, for instance the Russians did not massacre all the uh, indige- indigenous uh, people they met during the, their progress to the Pacific uh, Ocean, uh, which was not the case for, for instance in the United States, where the conquest of the West was very bloody and uh, very kind of uh, ethnic uh, operation, if we can if, yes, uh, yes, it, cleansing. it was an ethnic you know, cleansing it was a little bit different right, right. but there is also an imperial spirit in Russia and that's a fact but that it was also not by uh, aggressive wars uh, you know like uh, for instance uh, Napoleon uh, in uh, the beginning of the na- uh, 19th century it was not an invasion war. it was a slow progression of the Russian People you know so but, uh, but it's also the case, but if we can say the first world war first world war and the Second World war was uh, the, the attacks came from the West, not from Russia, it was Hitler who attacked uh, Stalin, not the opposite it was Na- it was Napoleon, it was also the Kaiser uh, the German who attacked uh, the Tsar in uh, 1914. So, if you look at the history, the aggression uh, came mainly from the West and not from Russia.
1: Well, I would certainly agree that as empires go, Russia is is not the most blatantly, obviously, an extremely aggressive one. Uh, Let's go back to the 19th century and the great game, because some people would say that this great game pitting the Anglo Empire, the British in the 19th century and the U.S. in the 20th and 21st centuries, uh, hasn't ever really ended. Uh, That is, the Russian Empire has been expanding in the Eurasian heartland, and the Anglo Empire has been ruling the Atlantic-based Rimland, and the two have been at loggerheads for a couple of centuries. Uh, How has this great game changed since the 19th century?
0: Yes, it it doesn't change for for me. Uh, what is interesting, the great game started at uh, the 19th century uh, after the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, because if you look during the Napoleon times, uh, Russia, the Tsar of Russia, and the king of England, the king of Great Britain, were allied. They were closed allied. And during centuries, the British during during centuries, the British and the Russians had good collaboration in matter of trade and economic exchanges. But what happened after the uh, during Napoleon times? Uh, the the main uh, the, the goal of uh, the main goal of the British was to um, to struggle and to fight and to to beat Napoleon. And uh, Napoleon was the ally at first with the Tsar, but uh, there was tension between them, and so the Tsar became an enemy of Napoleon. And they make a uh, very good alliance with uh, with Great Britain together, and they were quite successful to beat Napoleon. It was the, first the Russian, the Russian army, uh, and uh, secondly, uh, the, the, the British fleet with Nelson, who, who have uh, beaten uh, Napoleon and uh, overthrew, overthrew him. And in just after, what was uh, interesting, is just in the years following the success against Napoleon, uh, the Waterloo Battle, and the Congress of Vienna, who tried to make the peace between the France and the other countries of Europe, the British has, uh, has uh, um, reversed the idea that they just they just make the opposite and they try to consider the big. They started to consider Russia as an enemy. Why? Because there was after Napoleon uh, and France was down the only two superpowers superpowers of the times there were only two russia in western in, in on the continent and great britain on the sea and for great, for the british people it was not uh, it was not bearable it was not acceptable to have another competitor a so big competitor in front of them and that is the reason Why? Just after 1815, the Great Britain changed his mind and changed his ideas uh, uh, vis-a-vis Russia. And Russia, from a former good ally against Napoleon, became an enemy of Great Britain. And that's the starting of the Great Game. And from from this time, you can see, if you read the newspaper, like the Times of, of London and other uh, newspapers, still uh, some of them are still existing today, you can see in the newspaper how the journalists, how the propagandists, the British propagandists turned uh, their vision of Russia into a very negative one, using the same argument. Ah, but Russia is dangerous. Uh, first, it's an autocracy. The Tsar He's an autocrat, he's not democrat, he's, uh, he's a very bad guy, and uh, he maintained the people in serfdom and so on. So, sounds just like what they're saying about Putin today. Yeah, exactly. So, the same if you look at the time, uh, the, the um, Time of London, the newspaper, for instance, in the 1851, 1852. They are, they are describing the cartoonists. They are describing the Tsar at the time, Nicholas the First, like a vampire, you know, with big teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, that was one of the best. Lying on London, <laughs> trying right. to to suck the blood of the poor the poor British people, exactly like Putin now. You, you,
1: you explain in your book that this, this is where Dracula comes from. That Bram Stoker, yes. the author of Dracula, exactly. was inspired by this.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it's quite funny uh, because uh, now we we the cartoonists use the beer, you know, the bad uh, the the bad Russian beer trying to, you know, to attack the the poor uh, European. But in the 19th century, it was the vampire. It was yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 quite funny. But the same argument and the British tried to stop the the Russian to stop the Russian. In Asia, in China, and it's funny because at the 19th century, since the date we we can say 18th century, but uh, the the Great Britain uh, has made an empire twenty bigger than Great Britain, with India, with uh, with all the older Asia, Egypt, you know, from from London to to Hong Kong, the British. They, they were successful to create an empire uh, twenty uh, times bigger than Great Britain. It was not the case of uh, of Russia. Russia has uh, also grown, but not so big. Maybe twenty, fifty percent, but not <laughs> twenty times. And at the time, the, the, during the whole the eighteenth the, century, the nineteenth century, the British. Use the argument. Oh, but it's the Russia. It, it's the they are the Russian. The Russian are the imperialists. So it's it's completely funny to 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 to, to see that. And the great game, yes, uh, uh, was uh, very strong in Asia, Central Asia, and Afghanistan, because there were two wars uh, conducted by the British in Afghanistan in the 19th century to try. To push Russia on the north and to stop uh, the pro- the progression on the opening of Russia at the at the sea, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the the goal of the British was to um, contain. It was already a containment, like uh, during the communist times, uh, and, and even today. Russia. Yeah, and even today, exactly. And it's, so it was the the, it, it, the great game is. Uh, is a two century long story.
1: That's right. Yeah. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The exactly. More, the more exactly. things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. And, and yet the propaganda today doesn't seem to me to be working quite as well as the Cold War propaganda did. Uh, for instance, uh, we have this election of Trump, who was pilloried for being yeah. pilloried by Hillary <laughs> for being yeah. friendly to Putin and Russia and uh Trump wasn't a very attractive candidate in many ways but he managed to win and his relatively positive view of Russia and Putin i don't think that hurt him at all if anything it probably helped him does does that mean that this russophobic propaganda isn't working
0: uh it's it's hard to say uh, maybe you are in better situation than me to 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 judge uh, to judge it but um what uh, what we what what we can say? I think uh, uh, the um, uh, for me the, the Russian propaganda, uh, if I can say, for the, the uh, maybe maybe we we have to take the the questions uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, I think uh, in in Washington, the the Hillary camp and the, the neocons supported. Uh, the Democrats and uh, neocons, they they used the the Russia as the as the bad guy. They need to have Russia in the as an enemy to to present Putin as an horrible guy, as uh, yes like the communist with the with the knife between the teeth, you know, uh, because uh, because they were supported uh, by this kind of lobbies uh you know military lobbies and oil uh, oil lobbies and uh, so the they, they were very opposed to 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 to, to Russia and uh, the um, trump uh who was um, in my view uh, at uh, on this topic more, uh, more clever uh, was not uh, has no prejudices against uh, Russia as, uh, as a businessman he, he used to, to to work with Russian like uh, like he was used to to work with other countries with other other people. So he has he had less prejudices against against Russia, but the hate of Russia was used during all the uh, United States last elections and. Uh, all the Democrats and neo, the Republican neo-cons- neoconservatives tried to use it against Trump, and uh, we can say the we can see the the, 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 the uh, also now because uh, this struggle is is going on uh, now uh, with all the attacks against Trump. So I think. Uh, the, the anti russian propaganda is still very 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 strong now in the united states and the, the try from russia to struggle against this propaganda is not so not so successful because the mainstream media don't accept to mention russia in positive way it's always negative. They, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are writing articles, always negative. So it's impossible for Russia uh, to, to counter this uh, anti-Russian and Russophobic uh, propaganda in the in the United States media. So it's a kind of info war, a kind of info war, uh, in my view, which will uh, still develop and not cease. Not stop uh, tomorrow.
1: Well, the, the anti-Russia uh, element here in the mainstream is is very much aware of this, and they, you know, their accusations against Trump include things like he was supported or got favorable coverage by Russia today, and things yes. like that. But but I think they're having a hard time demonizing Putin. Um, you know, it's it's not it wasn't that hard to demonize someone like Saddam Hussein, who in certain respects was a somewhat unpleasant character. Um, Gaddafi, I don't know. I, I like Gaddafi, but he was a little, uh, goofy in certain respects as well. Um, Assad is maybe a little harder to demonize, but they've got all that, uh, humanitarian stuff, uh, you know, the accusations Mm -hmm. against him. With Putin, you know, put the, the impression that Putin makes is one of understated competence and generally being reasonable and charting a course that's actually positive and constructive for his own country. Uh, I, I don't really see the the peg that they they're able to hang any kind of real caricature of Putin on. Uh, maybe I spend too much time in the alternative media world, but uh, I haven't really sensed that people here in the United States have imbibed any real hatred of Putin.
0: Yeah, um, yes, Putin is a different uh, personality. Uh um so for me as i don't live in the united states it's hard to 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 feel how the americans feel putin you know in in deep uh, in deeps and in the, the the in the media i can i can read i can i can also read on internet and so on but but yes putin is a different is not uh, exactly the dictator like uh, kim jong un or you know, other guys like uh, Saddam Hussein and, and so on. Because he's a clever guy, he's not extremist, he's very rational, and that's also for me the reason why Trump uh, uh, has found that he's not really a bad guy. We can uh, speak with him, and I think that's uh, for people who, who met uh, President Putin, even uh, Barack Obama, Obama, if he's uh, if he's fair and uh, not biased, he must recognize that Putin is not a, is a normal guy, if I can say, and that's all the difficulty for the for the anti-Russian propagandists to depict him as a bad one. But uh, they were quite successful to 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 do it, you know, using all the same. Argument of, about autocratic and so on, or depicting him as a SS, like a Nazi, a Nazi uh, authoritarian uh, uh, Führer of uh, of uh, Russia, you know, or depicting as a Stalin, you know, uh, uh, Hitler uh, is yes, uh, um, Putin is Hitler or Putin SS or Putin Stalin, you know all this kind of stuff is used against uh, uh, president putin uh, but um, i mean he's a really uh, rational guy is uh, and also he, he explained what he tried to do since 10 years now in 2007 in munich uh, putin explained very clearly the limits you know he said to all the the NATO countries, United States and uh, European uh, countries, first. You know there is a limit. You cannot. Uh, Russia has interest. Russia has the right to defend uh, itself against enemies. So you cannot come with your weaponry, with your missiles, uh, in in Poland, in, uh, just under our nose, uh, without reaction from Russia as you know when uh, the the soviets tried to put uh, missiles in cuba in 62 the the us reaction of president kennedy was very strong and we just uh, missed a, a nuclear war because of that so if uh, uh, Russians are putting missiles in Mexico or in Cuba or in Canada. It would be a big, uh, a very big uh, problem for for America, and we can understand that. I think it's reasonable to be uh, to be scared about that. Yes. But what about to putting missiles in just under the nose, just uh, on the, the frontier of Russia in Ukraine now? Or in Poland uh, yesterday, uh, a few years ago, or, or uh, in uh, Germany, in Romania, and so on, and just uh, telling to the Russians, oh, but we are very peaceful with you, we like you, but we put our missiles and our nuclear uh, heads there because we, we think it's better for us and because we don't like the Iranians.
1: Yeah, right, that's really all, it's all about Iran.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all about Iran. <laughs> But yeah. we put our missiles. There. Oh, yeah. we are sorry. We you have a frontier you have your border just there, but it's not our fault, you know. It is,
1: it, yeah, this is where the media has, has really fallen down. You know, here in the West, uh, I think the media has not uh, ca- even come close to reporting accurately about this aspect of what's going on. Who's really the aggressor? Uh, did the U.S. promise not to advance one inch into the, uh, you know, formerly Iron Curtain countries uh, when with, with that agreement at the end of the
0: Cold War? That's, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it, Even President Bush, when when, when President Bush and Gorbachev they agreed to, uh, to 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 pull down the you know to break the, the iron curtain in '91 in 1991, uh, President Bush uh, <clears throat> decide, decided not to make not to include Poland and Eastern uh, European countries into the NATO, but just a few years later, it was done and the United States uh, it was Clinton at the time who was president they just forget or, or just um, try to forget the agreement made by President Bush a few years uh, uh, a few, few years earlier so for but the Russians they didn't forget this, this promise this agreement mm-hmm. and so uh, when they tried to uh, to mention it uh, the western, uh, the western countries, oh, we forget, oh, it was not so clear, oh, we didn't sign, we didn't sign, a, a, a clear agreement, it was just words, but, right. you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty it disgusting, good, really. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, I'm I'm ashamed to be part of the West and the U.S. with regard to that kind of, of mendacity. We only have a few minutes left, uh, so I, I want to jump to my controversial questions that you'll only yeah. get on shows like this. First one: uh, Why won't RT push harder uh, uh, by uh, against this propaganda by? giving us a little more focus on the truth about 9-11, which profoundly brainwashed the West in general and the U.S. in particular. Uh, It's such an obvious inside job. Building 7 alone can, you know, look at it for 30 seconds, and you can see that this is a demolition. Therefore, the whole official story falls apart. And RT used to occasionally cover this, and it doesn't anymore. Uh, Why not? To be frank, I cannot
0: answer the question because I don't know. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> I really, I really, I really don't know because there are some evidence in that, uh, in that, uh, yes, uh, of this fact, but it's not really clear. And I think, for me, as you are accused of compi- of uh, conspiracy, uh, every time you try to bring an alternative view, uh, another vision of the world, non-mainstream vision. I think, uh, for a question of uh, credibility, uh, they, they don't wish to, you know, to enter on this ground because otherwise it will it will probably give uh, too good arguments to be accused of uh, conspiracy theory and and so on, you know, and not serious journalists because this evidence are not so. Easy to to present and to explain, and probably there is no, you know, a certain or, or very good evidence or you know very clear evidence in that view. That's my interpretation mm-hmm. of uh, of this of this point. Yes.
1: Well, if I if I were on but, the RT policy board, I would I would argue about that. But how about uh, last controversial question? Uh, the Saker wrote a great review of your book. And, you know, he discussed how, how you ably analyze the English, French, German, and American flavors of Russophobia. But you never mentioned what he calls Jewish Russophobia, or maybe we could call today Zionist Russophobia. He thought that was uh, something that should have been covered in your book. What do you think? Yeah.
0: Uh, yes. Um, uh, there are some remarks about this. Uh, yes. But for me, also, I tried to to concentrate about the main country if I can say so in the history or or on the planet now you know who are France uh, which are France uh, first uh, uh, Great Britain, uh, Germany and uh, now United States I think Jewish Russophobia is not not also very clear because there are some uh, Jewish uh, many Jewish who are Russophobic that's clear but there are also many Jewish who are not russophobic. Mm-hmm. and uh, in the in the history, for instance, uh, because a lot of Jews were living in in Russia, in pretty good uh, conditions, where the, the their condition was not so good. It was not in the, on the Russian territory, but in Ukraine, or in you know in the Tsarist Empire, uh, in countries like uh, uh, Lithuania, like uh, um, Western Poland like uh, Ukraine now, or Romania, who was uh, at the time under the... Uh, the you Chinese know, Guillaume, I'm, I'm sorry,
1: I'm, we're going to have to cut you off there, unfortunately, okay. because that's a, that was a very uh, interesting and, and good answer. Uh, there could be a whole lot more to say, but we won't say it tonight, because the show's over. Uh, okay. It could have gone on. I appreciate the fantastic work you did with Creating Russophobia. And uh, I salute you. Keep it up. Uh, okay, it up. thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Take okay, care. bye-bye. Bye. It's Guy Maiton, author of Creating a Rastophobia. I'm Kevin Durant. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Thank you.